drinking and overeating and overtiredness that goes on. And in all that, you have to ask, where is God? Where's Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, whom we are to remember in a special way at Christmas? You see, it's not so controversial to say, is it? Satan has a field day at this time of year. And of course, there's so much that is good about the Christmas period, but where where is the thankfulness to God? Where is the thankfulness of sending his son? Where is the longing for Jesus coming again? Because that's part of what we're supposed to do at Christmas. Remember Jesus came and long for him to come again, to return. So here's the plan uh, for the next three Sundays. The plan is to slow down and think well about the first coming of Jesus. To spend some time in Luke and to think, reflect, and thank God for all that he has done already in Jesus, his son. Because without that first coming of Jesus, this world would forever be a dark and miserable place. And that's fact. So let's jump into Luke chapter 1. And just pick it up with me from verse 5. Make sure you've got your Bible there. And this is point one on your outlines, a dark and miserable place. So Luke chapter 1 from verse 5 says this. In the days of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. We might not notice this as we first read and as Luke begins, but these are dark circumstances as Luke begins his account here about Jesus. For one, we need to remember and realize that there has been no word of God, no new word of God amongst Israel for 400 years by this time. That's a long time. You know, 400 years, just, uh, just try and name your you know, great, 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 however many great grandparents. You'd have no idea. 400 years, unless you're one of those people who are obsessed with Ancestry.com and you'll tell me later. But 400 years, that is a long time. No one in Israel at this time had anywhere near living memory of a new word from God, of a, of a prophet sent by God to speak his word. 400 years, there's been silence from God. And if you're an Israelite at this time, as Luke begins his account, no doubt you're wondering, well, what of our God? We heard in the, in the psalm, in Psalm 42, you know, where, where is our God? What are the promises that he'd passed down to us? Why does this God no longer speak? Has he forgotten us? You see, these are dark circumstances as Luke begins. And the second reason why these are dark circumstances is because these are the days of King Herod of Judah. And uh, that information that Luke gives us, is it's helpful for us historically. Don't forget, remember, uh, these are real events, real people, real history. And uh, we won't look at verses 1 to 5 in detail, but just look very briefly at verses uh, 1 to 4, sorry. Verses 1 to 4, because Luke there tells us very clearly that he writes for us a carefully investigated, orderly account. And it's written so that we can be certain that these events happened that they're historical, that they took place, so we can have confidence. But the bit he tells us is that these are the days of King Herod, and that is a loaded term. You see, King Herod, he was a brute. So if you're reading this around that time, you're going, oh, those were the days when that guy was around, right? He's the one 
who, if you remember the Christmas stories, kills all the baby boys in Bethlehem two years and under. That's the sort of tyrant he is. Uh, he's, he's the one that we know from other historical sources that killed three of his own sons. It's kind of brute he is. Uh, even the, the great emperor Augustus of that time said of Herod, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Because uh, Herod was raised a, a Jew and Jews don't eat pork. So the joke was, hey, his pigs are safe, but his sons are not. That was the joke about him. You see, this is, this is not the days of King David. These are not the days in Israel of King Hezekiah or King Josiah where there's good in Israel and, and good things were happening with the king. No, this is, a, this is King Herod, who's a brute. These are dark days. And the third reason why these were dark circumstances was because of Elizabeth's barrenness. You see, one of the hardest challenges any married, married couple can face is childlessness. If you've known it, or if you've known someone close to you who's experienced childlessness, it's a heartbreak. All the joy and excitement looking forward to trying for a child, and then, and then that becomes this long and arduous journey of infertility. And for Zechariah and Elizabeth here, it was a lifelong struggle. By this time, they were well along in years. And no doubt it was something that they struggled to understand because just look at verse 6. Look what we read about them and their character. Look at verse 6. See, they were both righteous. They were living without blame according to all the commandments of God. Not, not that they were sinless or perfect, but they were, they were faithful. To go back to kind of kings, they did what was right in the, in the Lord's sight. And Zechariah, if you have a look at verse 5, he was a priest. He served in the temple. Uh, even Elizabeth, she was from the priestly line of Aaron. That's the special priestly line. And so you'd think that God would have blessed them with a child. You know, they tick all the right boxes, so to speak. Humanly speaking, everything is in their favor, and yet they're barren. But you see, these are the dark circumstances. This is, this is a world that is infected with sin. This is a world that can often be a dark and miserable place. It's a sort of place where infertility is all too common. It's a sort of place where tyrants and brute kings and leaders like Herod, they're all too common. With, you know, where, where every sickness and sadness and disability, like, like barrenness, is a sign of a world under sin. And so here's, here's the point as Luke begins his account. He's writing into a particular context. Here's the point. As he begins in these dark circumstances, we're to see this idea that if Jesus never came, if Jesus never came 2,000 years ago, all we could do as mankind is make the best of the darkness. You see, that would be the reality. You know the line, eat, drink, and do your best to be merry, because tomorrow you die. That would be it. See, this is a world under sin. This is a world where things are broken. That's the circumstance in which Luke begins his account. And so as he does, we should have this thought in our mind. We should dread the thought of Jesus Christ of Nazareth never existing. It's such a horrible image to picture. This world would forever be a dark and miserable place if the event we call Christmas, which we're looking forward to in a couple of weeks' time, if that never happened, this world would forever be a dark and miserable place. Uh, quite unexpectedly, yesterday I found myself a little uh, emotional um, 
I started playing Christmas carols. It's usually some point in the year where I start playing the, the playlist that I've got on Spotify. And uh, again, this is why it's all caught me a bit off guard, I think. Usually I start kind of near the beginning of December, but only yesterday for the first time I put the Christmas mix on. And uh, as these lovely carols were on and all these beautiful words about Jesus coming and God sending his son to this dark world, I just I got teary. I, I wasn't expecting it. Just at the thought of how joyous it is that God sent his son. Just how horrible it is if, if Jesus had never come. See, we should dread the thought of no Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This place would forever be a dark place. But you see, God didn't remain silent 2,000 years ago. He spoke out of the silence. And this is point two now. So look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. When his, Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And just as a side point, that's a big deal. Uh, as a Levite priest, Zechariah was only ever allowed to do this once in his whole lifetime. And it was a great privilege to do it. And because you were chosen by Lot, some priests never got the privilege because they didn't get chosen by Lot. And so this is a big deal for, for Zechariah. But look at what happens in verse 11. Uh, so Zechariah, he enters a sanctuary, verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. Uh, I must admit, I'm one of those dads and uh, husbands, for that matter, that really like to scare my family. Uh, so sometimes when I'm working at home and I go downstairs to kind of get a coffee or a drink or whatever, and uh, I hear the keys rattling at the front door, I go and I hide around the corner just from the hallway. And uh, when someone then kind of walks in, I just wait for perfect time and I jump out and scare them and I'm very good at it I get them every time and I usually grab them as well because I'm a bit afraid that if I just scare them then some kid will kind of like dart to the wall and give themselves a concussion or something like that one day they're going to punch me in the head because they think it's a thief and it'll serve me right but but that's that's the imagery here with Zechariah he wasn't expecting anyone to be in the temple to be in the sanctuary he was startled He, he was scared out of his socks even more so He was overcome with fear when he realized it was an angel. Uh, We really need to get rid of that cupid, overly well-fed, plump, flying little angel picture of angels. That is not right. These are awesome creatures of God. We'd all be overcome with fear. But it's what the angel says that I want us to notice. Look at verse 13. Look at what he says, verse 13. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. The first thing I want us to notice there is, just because God has been silent, that does not mean that he has been absent. He's been listening. He's heard Zechariah's prayer. We should never mistake the supposed silence of God for the absence of God. He's not absent. He hears, he acts, he listens, he he does everything that he promises he will do. And at first read, we might think that the prayer that God has heard is Zechariah's prayer for a son, uh, for a child. And no doubt Zechariah and Elizabeth would have prayed for, for years, probably decades, that God might give them a child. But remember, at this point, they're well along in years. They're quite old. 
So I don't think the prayer being referred to here by the angel is some decade-old prayer that they prayed when they thought it's still possible to have a child. They've probably stopped praying for a child for decades by this point. No, no, I think this prayer is a much greater prayer, one that you would expect from a righteous and blameless priest of God like Zechariah. It's a prayer for salvation. It's a prayer asking God that he might now do all that he's promised to do, to save a people for himself, to finally bring an end to the dark circumstances of the present world, to do what he said he would do. And I think we see that with the rest of the things the angel says. So yes, praise God uh, that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have a son, but much more important is uh, who this son will be. See, look in verse 15. Look in verse 15. What will this son be like? He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord, their God. And then look at verse 17. He will go in the spirit of Elijah to turn hearts of fathers and children. And uh, he will cause the disobedient to be those of understanding of, the, of righteousness. And look at the end of verse 17. He will make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And so something incredible will happen with the birth of this son. And we can't go there now, but perhaps write it down. But later on, go back and read Malachi chapter 4. Very easy to find, last chapter of the Old Testament. Because in Malachi chapter 4, you will see that God already promised to send one like Elijah. One who would turn the people back to him, just like the first Elijah. And so you see, this son who will be, is to make a people ready for the Lord. That's what he will do. And like I said at the beginning, the plan over these next three Sundays is to slow down and think well about the first coming of Jesus. And we sit here 2,000 years today after Jesus' first coming. We know he's come. We know who this son will be. We read of Elizabeth and Zechariah's son. We know that's John the Baptist. And we know that he will prepare the people for Jesus. And we know where we sit today that Jesus has come and he's done all that God promised he would do. But it is worth pausing and thinking if we are people ready for the Lord. I said at the beginning that that's part of what we should do at Christmas. Yes, we look back and we give thanks for that first coming of Jesus and praise God for that because there would be darkness without him. But at Christmas, we also look forward to the second coming. And John the Baptist's ministry was to turn people's hearts back to God to make them ready for Jesus' coming. And so I think it's a really good question to ask ourselves at Christmas time, are we ready for the Lord's coming? Are you? See, how, how is your heart before your Lord? How have you been going these last few weeks? In these last few months, uh, even the last few years, with, with all that's gone on with COVID and, and how hard that's been for some of us, is your heart turned towards your God? Uh, for some of us here, maybe our heart has never been ter- turned towards the God who's made you. I think it's really easy with all that Christmas brings, all that stuff that I said at the beginning that consumes us, you know, the busyness of work, the, the, the six million and one end of year events, the stress over family dynamics and family get together. It's so easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? So easy to get caught up and have our hearts wander away from God. 
to forget that actually we are living for the second coming of the Lord. I love the last stanza of that hymn, Come Thou Fount. It says this. It's up on the screen. It says this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Don't, don't you find that so easily? That we're, we know we're prone to wander? With all that goes on in the busyness of our modern lives, especially you know, this time of Christmas and all the pressures and the busyness, that we're, we're prone to, to leave the God that we love? And it's not because we want to. It's not, we don't do it on purpose. It's not like we wake up in the morning and think, oh, you know, today I might wander from God and leave him at home. I might, just, I might leave Jesus, my Lord, out of the picture for today and for this week. We don't do that. We don't do it on purpose. Uh, funny story, one of those um, six million and one end-of-year events is about five million Carlton public school events. Uh, I don't know if other parents from Carlton have found that. It just seems like every second day there's something on. And uh, Emily and I couldn't get to all the things that, you know, that uh, the school wants us to bear. Otherwise, I wouldn't be preaching. Phil would be doing it because I had done nothing. Uh, but some lovely, one lovely member from our church videoed one of our children singing in the choir because we couldn't make that. And it was so funny watching the video because uh, said child, the whole, for the whole video, while everyone else in the choir was looking forward, big grin, singing, heart out, she was distracted. She couldn't help herself. She was so distracted watching the person doing the sign language to the side. And uh, it's not like she could control herself. But I was looking at the video and thinking, no, those other kids are singing, but you're just moving your lips because you're trying to pretend to sing because you're distracted and you forgot we were up to. It's very funny to watch. But that's us, right? Prone to wonder. It's what we like. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And we don't do it on purpose, but we wonder. It's a battle. I think we saw that in the, the last gospel team study on prayer. I hope you enjoyed them. But we struggle to pray. Even when we pray, our minds can wander, right? And why is that? It's because our sinful human flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And doesn't this Christmas period you know, kind of tug and pull at the desires of the flesh? You know, with all the stress, with all the materialism, with all the busyness, we forget our God. You see, pray like this hymn. Ask God to take your heart and seal it for him. Pray that we would always be a people ready for the Lord, for Jesus to come at any time, because he is coming. But back to Zechariah, because after he'd been told such uh, incredible things about this son that he would have, uh, he doubts. And this is point three now. Have a look from verse 18. Verse 18, to all that the angel had just said to Zechariah, verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I know this? How can I know? For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And I think... Uh, Part of us, as we read that, we, we, we sympathize with Zechariah, right? Put yourself in his shoes. Uh, all of his being, all of his body, for that matter, would have been screaming at him saying, what do you mean I'm going to have a son? Look at my hands. They're so wrinkly. I'm old. What, what do you mean I'm going to have a son? And I, I mean, I don't mean to be, you know, dispolite. I, I don't mean not to be polite. But do you realize my wife, you know, bless her, she's old too. She's not going to have a kid. 
What do you mean this? I'm going to carry a child. She's going to carry a child. Just imagine being Zechariah. Every cell in his body, every ache, every wrinkle, every groan, every morning as he rolls out of bed, maybe that's you, I don't know. All of that would have been screaming out, you've got to be kidding me. This won't be. How can I have a son? How can she have a son? So how can I know? How can I be sure? And we get all that, I think, with Zechariah. We get where he's coming from. We understand his doubt. But on the other hand, this is an angel of God that stands before him. One who stands in the presence of God. And Zechariah is a priest of God. And he knows that God will do what he says. See, the words that he heard, that the angel said to him, they are the words of God. And that should have been enough. He should have believed the word of God. And so as a lesson for his unbelief, he's struck dumb and he's unable to speak until the day of John's birth, if you remember the rest of the story. And if you look from verse 21, from verse 21, all those outside the temple, they knew something something supernatural was happening. Uh, It shouldn't have taken that long to burn incense. In verse 22, when, when Zechariah comes out and finally comes out after all that time and he couldn't speak, everyone knew something incredible had happened. And I don't know about you, but I find Zechariah here both an encouragement and a rebuke. I find it an encouragement because here is one who's righteous, one who's living without blame. He's living according to all the commandments of God, and yet he's not perfect. And even he needs the forgiveness of sins that Jesus will bring for him. And I find that an encouragement because God does not demand of any of us perfection. I find it an encouragement because we can still fail as Christians and yet still be righteous. And it's all because of Jesus. And that is incredible. But I find it a rebuke because are we not at times like Zechariah? If we're honest, we doubt. We have those moments of unbelief. You see, we have a clear word from God right here right in our hands as you hold the Bible. That is a clear word from God. And Zechariah, he had a clear word of God from the angel right in front of him. They're both clear words from God. Please, uh, please have this really clear in your mind. You don't need an angel to come say anything to you. You have the word of God, a clear word of God in your hand. We don't need anything more, but we can doubt that word. And like Zechariah, I think every part of our being at times in our modern world can scream out to us, is Jesus really coming back? Will God really do all that he said he would do? Will will the present darkness of this world really come to an end? Because there's Ukraine and Russia and COVID and it just keeps coming. Will the tyrant leaders finally be judged? Will will sickness and disease and sadness and and disability, all the sin that, that affects this world, will that really cease? We can doubt, can't we? Because every experience that we have, uh, every experience of our being in this world, viewing the TV screens, open your paper, every day after day and year after year, it screams out to us, well, where is the promise of Jesus coming? And then we can doubt. See, Christopher Ashe, in his little Christmas devotional, he puts it really well, he puts it like this. He says, we hear this gospel word, this promise, But we look at our life and the world and we wonder how we can be sure that this word is true. Just like Zechariah in verse 18. How can I know this? But that's why at this time of year we must slow down and think well about that first coming of Jesus and what God has already done. 
to think and reflect and thank God for all that he's already done in Jesus. You see, we need not be struck dumb like Zechariah. And this is our final point now. See, look at what happens in verse 24. Just go to verse 24. What happens in verse 24? Elizabeth conceived, as promised. I don't mean to be rude, but, you know, old, wrinkly Elizabeth. And it's incredible. And it's unbelievable if only it didn't happen. And what, what happens with his son? What do we know? We know he becomes John the Baptist. And he prepares the people for the Lord, just as promised. And when Zechariah himself was struck dumb, and when he witnessed his wife fall pregnant, and that day when uh, John was born, and he said, name him John, and that day when Zechariah probably saw John baptize Jesus and prepare the way for Jesus, Zechariah never had to ask again, how will I know this? How can I know? How can I be sure? He never had to ask that because it was done. It was accomplished. God had done all that he said he would done, all that he promised he would do. So how much more confident should we be? Because where do we sit? We sit 2,000 years after Jesus was born. We sit that time after where God became man to dwell with us. The time after where God died for us and Jesus rose for us. And so we can know this, that Jesus will return for us. You see, we far more than Zechariah need not be struck dumb. We have so many reasons to believe this clear word of God. So can I encourage you with the couple of weeks that there are left, and particularly with that holiday period as well, I personally find that when I'm on holidays, I read my Bible and pray far less than any other time in the year because I'm out of habit and out of routine. I, I forget going on holidays much too much. I don't know if you find the same. But can I encourage you, don't let Satan have a field day. Don't let him do it. Don't get caught up in the busyness and the tiredness and the materialism. Decide now, write something down, pray about it when you get home. Decide now to have your heart turned towards God. Decide now to be a people prepared for the Lord, longing for Jesus' return, because he will come back. We can know this. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you did not leave this world in darkness forever, that you have sent Jesus, your Son, that he has dealt with sin and death and the devil, and that we can have full confidence that he is coming back to put an end to all those things once and for all. Help us in the lead up to Christmas to thank you and praise you for all that you've done in him and to look forward and long for that return. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.